Thank you for joining us this week at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our annual PCBI conference, Yahweh. This theology conference is for everyone and is intended to create a deeper love for the Bible. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. You know, I, I want to be a real honest with you um, this morning. You know, Robert comes up and he says, you know, he had all this stuff. The truth is, is when they asked me to come and speak to you, I was quite intimidated, if you want to know the truth. Because in my mind, I'm, I'm sitting back there. I was telling the fellows in the office that I was sitting back there and I'm thinking, oh, dear God, what do I got to say? You know, these are theologians, man. They're, they, they study the Bible. I mean, they're, 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 they're doing their exegesis. You know what I'm, that's a $50 word for studying your Bible. And, 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 and I'm like, dear God, what am I going to say? But then, then uh, Rob and I were talking and, and, and it, it, it came together and God just dropped something in my spirit. It's something I administered to my church. And then I spent a little bit of time uh, adapting it for here, but I believe God is speaking in this place, amen? And I believe that not only is he speaking in the context of a, of a Bible school, but I believe he's speaking in the context of making you better, making you better at who you're called to be. Can you say amen? See, I want, what I want for my life is I want to be the best version of what God had planned for me. I want to fulfill all that God has for me. I want, I want more of him, and I want to be more for him. Can you say amen to that? That's what I want to be. And the truth is, what I find is oftentimes in my life, the only reason that I'm not that is because I just haven't learned. I just haven't come into that place. And so what I want to do today is I want to help you to maybe take a step forward. And the subject that I'm going to talk about is a very familiar subject, but it is a subject that, at least in my experience, I haven't seen Christians embrace the way that they should. And so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to look at something really familiar, but we're going to look at it in a way that we've probably not considered before, okay? Does that make sense to you? So whenever you find yourself in a real study of the character and the identity of who our God is, there are some amazing byproducts, or maybe we could put it this way, there are some unintended things that happen. At least they're unintended for us. Certainly they are intended by God. But when we study about him, what we end up discovering is who we are. You cannot discover who God is without discovering who you are. Because we are wrapped up in him, and he is wrapped up in us. Can you say amen? We are created in his image, and that's a lot more than we just look like him. We're created like him in his image and in his likeness. We carry his spirit. We have the capacity to operate in divine nature. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So there's something much deeper to that likeness and that image than that we just look like God or we're, you know, just family members. There's something much deeper than that. You, let me say this to you. Inside each and every person in this place, there is the essence of the divine in you. 
Now listen, I'm, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying you're a little God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God has deposited in you. See, when the, the Bible says that when God breathed into Adam, he breathed his spirit. There was, there was the breath of life and he became a living soul. The only thing in creation that became a living soul was man. Are you hearing that? So there is something of the divine in us. So that, that's what separates us from everything else in the animal kingdom. Yes, certainly dogs and cats and mules and, and elephants and giraffes and all of that, they're alive, but they're not a living soul. They don't have the, they, they were formed, they were created, they, they were spoken into existence, but you're handmade. The Bible says that God reached down into the earth and he scooped up some dirt and he fashioned, he formed man out of the dust of the earth. Your hand made, your hand crafted, and then God breathed into you. You say, well, I wasn't there on the day of creation. Let me tell you, the Bible says this. It says in the book of Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 139, it says this. It says, in your mother's womb, he created you or he crafted you. The literal translation in the Hebrew is in the bowels of the earth or in the dark place, in obscurity, you were formed. In my mind, it's the underground secret workshop of God. He formed you. He had a plan for you. He had a blueprint for you. And he put you together by very specific specifications. Are you hearing me? You, in your mother's womb, he knew who you were, what you would be, where you would go, what you would do, what you would say, and he put very specific things in you, and then he breathed in you, and you became alive, and you are like him. That's an incredible thought. Can you say amen? And this is why I'm so excited today to speak to you about this and about the character of God, because it, it reveals something of us. Now, listen to me today. No one could ever claim to plumb the depths of God's character completely. And so what we have to do is we have to look at God and we have to learn about him in manageable facets. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We, we, our mind is too finite to completely embrace all that God is and all that he is. So today I want to focus on one facet of God. And, and, and truthfully, it's a monumental facet. And I, and I don't know that anyone really has the ability to completely express this. So I'm going to rely on the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit to help me. But the facet that I want to talk to you about is the father heart of God. See, and I don't know if there's ever been a time in human history where we have needed a deeper and more clear and more accurate understanding of the father's heart than right now. Are you hearing me? So much of the struggles, the wounds, the dysfunctions, the destructive habits and hang-ups of our lives are a direct result of becoming distant from the Father. Listen, the Bible says in Isaiah 59, verse number 2, it says, But your iniquity has separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Listen to that. Sin separates us from God. See, when sin entered the world, man became an orphan. Now listen to this. The definition of an orphan is one who is separated from his parents or his father. 
When sin came into the world, Adam and Eve became orphans. They were not born orphans. They became orphans. And the moment they left the presence of God, they acquired and ultimately embraced an orphan spirit. And they begin to live outside of the domain of God. And from that day forward, they had to deal with the outside world on their own. And as a result, they made one bad choice after another after another with catastrophic results where they used to live in freedom and in, and in grace and with abundance. They now lived with lack. They lived in fear. They lived in shame. See, that's what the devil did, didn't he? See, the devil, when he came to Eve, when he tempted her, what he put inside her was a sense of lack. Listen to what he says. He says, the devil says, God knows that if you eat that tree, you will be like him. What is he saying? He's through a lie. He's convincing her there's more to be had. That you don't have it all. That somehow God is, God is holding back your, your, you know, your so-called father. He, he's not giving you everything he has because you could be like him. She was already like him. She was created in his image and his likeness. But the devil set up inside her heart a sense of lack. And from that sense of lack, she, become, uh, she came to a place where she desired something that was not hers to have. And that's what happens to you and I. And that's what the devil's still up to today. He's trying to set up inside you this sense that you are not enough that you are empty, that there is more to be had, that your Father in heaven is holding out on you. But I'm here today to tell you that he has made you complete. And as long as he lives in your heart, there is nothing more you need. Can you say amen to that? This mentality and the emotions that come along with it have been passed down from one generation to the next. All because sin separates or orphans us from our Heavenly Father. Now, I know you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Pastor. I, I hear what you're saying, but didn't, didn't Jesus come to set us free from that curse? Yes, there is no doubt that that's what Jesus accomplished. Let me tell you something. A lot of people think that Jesus came to earth to solve the sin problem. That is not what he came to do. I know that's a oh, Hey, but this is a Bible school, right? We're going we're gonna to get down in the dirt right here, and we're going to talk a little bit. See, Jesus had no problem with sin. He could have went like this, and it had been done. What Jesus came to do was to restore you back to sonship. What Jesus came to do was to restore the relationship. So therefore, he had to deal with what was separating you and I from the Father. Are you hearing me? So when we understand that, see, we put so much emphasis on sin. Sin is not the problem. It is the byproduct of being separate from the Father. That's like saying, well, man, dude, I ran out of gas. I'm, I'm, my car won't start. Why won't your car start? Well, I'm out of gas. Well, put some gas in it. It'll start. I know, but it won't start. You could sit there all day long talking about how much your car won't start. Put some gas in it. See, as, as people, human beings, we love to deal with symptoms. We love to just, you know, we have seasons. Do you know cold and flu season? It's, it's coming. We, you know, the cold and flu season, right? 
Do you know cold and flu season is something that has been made up by marketing? There's no thing as a cold and flu season. Colds and flu don't go, hey, today's our day, man. Let's go. Come on, man. It's, it's our season. Let's march on. Oh, do you, has anybody ever gotten sick in the summertime? Come on. Spring, winter, fall. There is no season. It's, a, it's some marketing agent somewhere in, in New York City in a really high building went, hey, let's do this. Here, I know how to sell a lot more cold and flu medicine. We'll just create a season and everybody will buy it. And then what we do, because words are power, well, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to get sick, man. I, you know, uh, it's, it's cold and flu season. I can feel it already. It's on me. Well, of course, it's now you're done. You might, hey, you're, you're cooked. You're, the power of life and death are in the tongue, and you're speaking death. Oh, man, I'm on another sermon. Hang on. <laughs> he did come to set us free from that curse. But because we still do not understand or know the heart of the Father, we remain stuck in the orphan mindset. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. See, the truth is the Holy Spirit wants to reveal the heart of the Father to you so it would ignite your heart and that it would empower you because there is nothing this morning that will empower your life more than knowing the heart of the Father. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, a lot of people think they need deliverance. I declare to you what we don't need is deliverance. What we need is a revelation. Are you hearing me? A lot of people come to pray for me, Pastor. You need, man, I need to be set free. Yes, you need to be set free, but my prayer is not going to set you free. What's going to set you free is the rhema from heaven, the knowledge, the revelation of who our Father is. Can you say amen? And not just who he is out there, but who he is in here. Can you say amen? But that revelation, it creates a confidence in our spirit, an assurance of acceptance, even in the midst of failure. It was said, I believe, last night that God is faithful even to those that are faithless. We've got to understand that just because we make a mistake or we stumble or we trip, that God doesn't go, well, that's it, I'm done with you. I mean, how is it that me being evil in the sense of comparison to my love compared to God's love, how is it that I know how to forgive my children, but God doesn't know how to forgive his? And how is it that Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, to demonstrate his love. He demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. But the moment we get saved, God's so mad at us now. It's like, hey, you better watch out, bro. You, you, you mess up. God's going to get you, man. Lightning's going to fly out of heaven. <laughs> what? God's mad? I made a mistake. I, I know. I, I blew it. I had a bad day. Anybody here have a bad day? And any, no, come on, raise your hand if you had a bad day. You know, has anybody ever been stuck in traffic? You know, Kingman traffic is horrible. I, it's horrible. I get stuck in Kingman traffic, and it takes eight minutes to get home instead of four. And so I have a bad day. And I start plotting how I want to blow up all of the, the, uh, the, the lights 
and you know the stoplights and it's because there's a conspiracy in Kingman to slow me down I'm telling you it's just horrible and then I start complaining and uh, you know murmuring and uh, you know and then I think oh dear God if I don't shut up God's going to be mad if I, you know what, I'm not going to be anointed when I go to Paramount to preach. God's going to go, you're going to, watch this, you're going to fail right in front of a bunch of people. How is it that God's mad? He loves us. He's our Father. Are you hearing me? So I want you to look at a verse of Scripture, and we're going to move on into this. John chapter 14, this is my text. John chapter 14, verses 7 through 9, and it says this, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation It says, if you had known who I am, then you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip, being the genius he was, said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Genius. Jesus goes, Philip, don't you even know yet who I am, even after all the time I've been with you? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking to see him? Here in John 14, it's the end of Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry, and he's about to go to the cross. He's clarifying what his ministry has been about, and he's giving them promises for the future. He's, he's kind of winding things up. He says, I've been raising the dead, and I've been healing the sick, and I've been setting the captive free, and I want you to know what this is all about because I don't believe you guys have, in the last three and a half years, got it yet what this is all about. I'm not exactly sure if you know what I'm here doing, but in verse 7, he speaks directly to the disciples, and he says, if you had known me, you would have known my my father also. This was a brand new idea to the disciples. Though they knew Jesus and they saw what he was about, they thought, they thought it was something very different. But Jesus came to do one thing, and that was to reveal the Father. He says, I've come to show you who my Father is, because there was one thing that he wanted more than everything else. The whole whole dynamic of the cross, the whole dynamic of salvation, all that he does through healing and deliverance and setting the captive free was to restore the relationship that Adam and Eve had lost. That once again, humanity could come into right relationship with the Father and be sons and daughters under the Most High. Can you say amen? They thought they knew but they really didn't know. No, and this, the reason this is so stunning and so significant is because when you consider the Jewish context here with the Jewish traditions and the Jewish teachings, they understood God as a creator. They saw him as the transcendent God. They saw him as powerfully to the uttermost. He was powerful to the uttermost. He was off the charts. They, they were, he was beyond anything that they could imagine. He was completely, infinitely higher, living in his own realm. And the Jewish mindset, they understood God as a very distant, he, he was real, but he was distant because he was so powerful and he was unapproachable. Because if you came close to him, you would die. Because that had been their experience. Amen. You remember the guy that touched the the Ark of the Covenant? Dead. 
People that, he says, if you look upon me, you will die. Mo, you know, Moses says, hey, I want to see you. And God says, okay, I'm going to have to hide you in this cave. I'm going to have to cover your eyes. I'll go by and I'll let you see the shadow of my passing. And that will keep you glowing for a month. Otherwise, you're dead. This is how they viewed God. But Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, let me tell you something. It's going to be different than that. Yes, he is transcendent. Yes, he is all-powerful. Yes, you will tremble at the sight of him. But that's not enough. It's not a complete revelation. Because Jesus wanted them to know that he was a father, that he felt compassion for them. He loved them, and he desired a personal relationship with him, he was not some transcendent creator before you, before whom they were to tremble. He was a tender-hearted father who loved them with an eternal, immeasurable love. Can you say amen? And this was brand new to the Jewish mindset. They knew about trembling before God, but they knew nothing about having a relationship with him. They knew to keep their distance and worship him with awe but they didn't know how to draw close and love with love and affection and that he actually wanted that. From the beginning, listen to me, from the beginning, he has been a father. He is not like a father. He doesn't just function as a father. At the very core of all that God is, all that he feels, all that he thinks, everything he does comes from the heart of fatherhood, from the eternal past into the eternal future, he is a father. Can you say amen? That's something, that is a revelation, church, that when you catch that and you begin to live in that, it will change how you live. It will change how you think because when you realize he is a father, you will begin to realize that you're a son. And that word son, that's not gender specific. Just like I'm the bride of Christ, ladies, you're the sons of God. Okay? It's not gender specific. It's talking about our identity in him. The Bible says this, that Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. Amen. We are sons and daughters before the Most High. Now, with that thought, I want you to consider with me a story that's a, a very familiar story, it, but it's a story I think oftentimes gets overlooked a little bit. It's a story that probably we think that we've saturated it, and you know, it's like, okay, that's it, and we use it in salvation sermons and stuff like that, but there's some deep revelation here, and it's the story of the prodigal son. And in Luke 15, verse 11, it says, there was a man who had two sons. And I need you to pay attention to that statement. There was a man that had two sons. Oftentimes, we focus on the prodigal. And that's good, we should. But there was another son. This man had two sons, and they were both lost. <clears throat> one went to a faraway land. Another one stayed home. But both of them were equally lost. Both of them were orphaned. I want you to think about this for a moment. Both of them were orphaned. 
You can, be, you can go to church all your life and still have an orphan mindset and not know the Father. Let me show you this. See, if there's ever been a story that should probably change its name, it's this one. I don't know if we should call it the story of the prodigal as much as we should call it the parable of the father's love. Because if ever there was a representation of the father's love, his incredible, compassionate love that's expressed in a very practical way, it's right here. Because in a very real sense, we see in this story the heart of God and that he absolutely understands the lostness of humanity. He knows the pain that comes from making decisions to indulge in this world. He knows the confusion and the heartache that comes from trying to make it without him. He sees the tears that have been cried, and he knows the anguish and agony of self-righteousness. And in this story, we see the Father heart of God that burns with an immense desire to bring his children home, back into right relationship with him. And as a father, he wants his children free, doesn't he? Free to live, free to love, free, free to return to him, to have relationship with him. So much so that that freedom risks the possibility of losing it. You've got to understand that God's love is so complete for you and that he so completely invests that into your decision making that you could walk away from it. You've got to understand that. That's powerful. And as we see this story <coughs> unfold, we begin to see a father that's incredible. And I want you to think about this with me, if you will. Because the obvious part of this story is the prodigal. We know the story of the prodigal. We know that one day he came to the father and he said, you know what, I'm tired of living under your roof. I really don't like your rules. And far as I'm concerned, you're dead to me. So why don't you just give me all that is mine and I'll leave. And the father loves him so much that he does it. And the Bible says that this young man goes to a faraway land. He lives it up. He spends the money. He lives in partying and riotous living and all of this. Actually, the word prodigal, if you look that up, it actually means lavish or expensive. And the reason they call it the prodigal son is because he lived expensively until he could not. And then he came to a place where he began to realize that his money was running out and the friends were leaving and he finds himself in the pig pen. Now, for a Jewish young man, this is, he didn't just hit rock bottom. He drilled a few feet down. He, he's going deep because he's living in the pig pen. He's eating with the pigs. And for a first century Jew, this is like way off the charts. I mean, this is a, this is a young man that has hit bottom hard. And he comes to a place where he says in his mind, if I could go home, at least I could be a servant in my father's house because at least they're getting better food than I am. His thoughts are not on being redeemed. His thoughts are not being restored. His thoughts are, 
well, I've blown it, and so the best I can ever hope for is to be a slave. But a slave in my father's house is infinitely better than doing what I'm doing now. That is what I find is most Christians' point of view when they serve God. Yeah, life in the world was bad. You know, I was hooked on drugs and drinking and immorality and all of this stuff, and it was destroying me. But hey, if I just, if man, if I could just be a slave for Jesus, it's way better. Let me tell you something, church. The reason that is so deadly is because that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because that is significantly beneath the Father heart of God. And I want to show you what he does. So the Bible says that the young man gets up and he travels back home. He's coming up the driveway. He's coming up the road. And the Bible says that the father sees him, runs to him. The Bible says he puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, a robe on his back, and he calls for the fatted calf to be killed and they're going to have a celebration. And you know, as I begin to think about that, I thought, man, what is really happening here? What's, what's happening here? When he put the ring and the shoes and the robe on him, what he was doing at that point, now listen, he, this is the father heart of God. He is restoring his sonship, his identity. That is the first thing that God will do in your life. That is exactly what God, the heart of God wants to do, is to restore who you were created to be. And he restores his identity. But it goes even deeper than that. Now, you may not know about this, or maybe you have heard it. There's actually a tradition in Jewish culture that was very prevalent, not only in the first century, but centuries to follow. It was not only prevalent in the Jewish culture, but it was also prevalent in, in other cultures in the Middle East as well. And then they have a name for it, and the name is this, Kazaza. You can go look it up on the internet if you want, Kazaza. And what Kazaza was is where the village where a young man, they would do this in several circumstances, if a young man married a woman that was outside of their faith, or if a young man divorced a woman, or if there was some sort of infidelity, or if a young man wasted his inheritance, or, some, or somehow they begin to lose their identity, when they would go away and come back, the village would do something unique. They would run to the young man, they would take a clay pot, and they would throw it at his feet, signifying that the best you can ever be in this village is a slave. You have no dignity, you have no identity, and you will never be restored. You are a slave. You are a no person. You are, a, like the Beatles said, a nowhere man. Are you hearing that? Now, here's the picture. Why would the father get up and run to his son? It is my belief that the father knew this tradition. And it is also my belief that the young man knew this tradition. That's why he says, I could be a slave in my father's house. So the father outruns the villagers. He outruns them. He gets there before they do so that he could restore his identity so their curse had no power. Are you hearing that? That's the father heart of God. And so what happens is this, this very wealthy, dignified man runs. Now, in Jewish culture, 
A man of his stature would never be caught running because in order to run, they would have to gird up their loins. So what is girding up their loins? What it was is they took their robe and they would bring it up and they would tie it so that their legs were free to run without being tripped. But that was undignified for a man of his stature. In fact, it conferred shame on the man. So in the story, what I see is here is the father willing to take the shame of restoring his son back to his original identity so that he could prove his love for him. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Isn't that what he did on the cross? He hung there bleeding, beaten, naked before heaven and earth, carrying my shame. My pain, my sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is so complete, so significant, that righteousness now is no longer a goal I obtain. It is a platform from which I live because I'm restored. That's the Father heart of God. Are you hearing that? This is what he's doing. So in this tradition called Kazaza, what they would do is they would confer the shame on him, but the father outruns the villagers, takes the shame on himself, bears that weight, and restores the son, the prodigal, back to sonship. That's what Jesus has done for many of you. That's what he continues to do. That restoration is a lifelong process. In fact, the Bible says this in, in Isaiah 61, verse number 7. You can look it up if you'd like. It says this, For your shame, I will give you double honor. Isaiah 61 has often been noted as the great exchange. Beauty for ashes, oil for joy the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He takes what has been lost and broken and beaten. There's nothing more lost or wasted than something that's been made ash. And God says, I'll take that part of your life, and in turn, I will make it beautiful for you. But in verse 7, you follow that all the way through, and in verse 7, he goes, for your shame, I will give you double honor. That's the father heart of God. But the story doesn't stop there, does it? Because in that story, there's another son who is lost. And that son is the elder brother. And he comes in and he's got a real problem. And this is where I find much of the church that has been around a while. This is where they live. Because the elder brother comes in and he hears the servants come to him and say, Hey, did you hear your brother who was lost has now been found? He's, he's home. Your, your younger brother's home. And your dad's going to have a party for him. And this made the elder brother mad. So mad that he wouldn't even go into the house. And the Bible says that the father comes to him. And says, come on, this son of mine who's been lost, he's been found. We're so happy. We're so glad he's back. And here's the response of the elder brother. He said, I can't believe what you're doing. He said, he wasted all of your inheritance on righteous living. He's a sinner. He's he's worse than the worst. He said, he looked at you and said, I'm glad. I, I, I believe you're dead to me. And then left. 
And now he's back and you're restoring him? He goes, I don't even get you. He goes, and furthermore, he says, I have labored and I have worked and I stayed faithful and I've slaved for you. Read it. You can read it. He says, I've I've been a slave for you. And you didn't even kill a goat for me and my friends. This is, he's revealing the mindset and the heart of this young man. This is where much of the church is today. I've slaved for you. Man, what? Man, I've lived righteous for you, and what? What? I still got to pay taxes. I still, you know, I still get sick every now and then. I, you know, I got to, I got to drive around in traffic, L.A. traffic. I got to drive on the 91. It's a parking lot. That's not driving. That's parking. I, I, what? Can't you give me a secret way? Can Can't you help me? Man, how you know, I, I try to go to church. I want to go to church early so I can be in prayer, but no, I got to go through traffic to get there. I've been doing it for 15 years. I've slaved for you. Some guy comes in, gets saved, and all of a sudden you're pouring all your blessing on him. What about me? Why don't you do it for me? It's because you don't understand the father heart of God. Because listen to how the father responds to this son. He doesn't say, man, you're, you're really immature or you're, you, know, you need to get a grip. You, he just looks at him and says, oh, son, all that I have has always been yours. Are you hearing that? No, you didn't hear it. You didn't hear it. If you would have heard that, how many remember the, 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 the lottery a few weeks ago was up to $1.6 billion? Anybody hear about that? If you would have won, would you have, would you have been excited? Would you have went, yeah. <laughs> they call up, hey, Pastor Omar, you won $1.6 billion. Yeah, that's good. Ah, you know, now I got to get an accountant. <laughs> now, now I got to figure out how to spend it. And you know, my family, and, and you know what? They are, they're going to come out of the woodwork. Everybody's going to want a loan. And, and you know, oh my God. You know, I was better off when I had nothing. No, you didn't hear it. All, underline all. All. You know what the Greek word for all is? All that I have is yours. No, no, you still didn't get it. All that I have is yours. All, now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. I have a big picture in my office that's right above my desk or right, right behind me on my desk. And it's a picture of the prodigal son in the story. And in the bottom, there is a, a faceplate that's engraved. It says, son, all that I have is yours. And every day I walk in and I see that, and it's a reminder that all that he has is mine. Now, I'd like to tell you that, that I've got this down, and I'd like to tell you that I don't ever stress on stuff, but I do. And sometimes I have to remind myself, wait a second, I'm a son of God. And, and I'm a son of God not because I chose to be, but because the Father heart of God chose before the foundation of the earth 
to make me his son. Are you catching that? Man, that's powerful. It begins when we begin to see the heart of God that he wants me. He longs for me. It changes everything. I'm convinced this morning that much of our struggles in life could be eliminated if we just knew the Father heart of God. Are you hearing me? Listen, and I, man, I got so much here. I'm not going to be able to get through it, but he has adopted us. He, you know what adoption, adoption is such a powerful thing because adoption is by choice. No one has ever been adopted by accident. It's a choice. God chose to adopt me. And then he says, now you can call me Abba, Father. That word Abba literally means it's, the, it's a transliteration, so there's no direct interpretation. But the closest we can come to it is Papa. My little grandson, he's one year, one and a half now. And he'll, he's walking and he'll be running down the church hallway. And he'll go, Papa, Papa, you can have anything. <laughs> anything I got. I'll give you candy. I'll give you my cell phone, my car. Here's the keys to my car. Whatever you want. <laughs> he's one and a half. Papa. He'll, he'll, my wife will be holding him and he'll see me. He'll go, Papa, Papa. And it's like, oh. And, and some people go, oh, you do, don't, don't say Papa God. That's disrespectful. Maybe in the Old Testament, but in the New, he's our father. And Papa means something to him. It's a term of endearment. It's his heart. It's connecting with his heart. Not his mind, his heart. Are you hearing me? When we cry out, Abba, Father, we're saying, I recognize you are my father and I am your child and this has been done by choice. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says all who receive him are given the power, the right, the privilege to become the sons of God. That's the father heart of God. The father heart of God came to build a family. Everything in this life is predicated on family. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. This kingdom is run by a king who is a father. And he's your father. My father. I finish with this last illustration. Ernest Hemingway wrote a story about a father and his teenage son. And in the story, the relationship had become somewhat strained. And the teenage son ran away from home. And the father began a journey in search of his rebellious son because he wanted to restore the relationship. Finally, he ended up in Madrid, Spain. And in a last desperate attempt to find the boy who ran away, the father put an ad in the local newspaper, and the ad read this, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. 
your father. The next day in front of the newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up. They were all seeking forgiveness. They were all seeking the love of their father. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. It's an incredible, lavish love from a Father's heart that has been poured on us. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your head with me? Father, we just thank you so much for this revelation of the Father heart of God. I pray, Father, that as we move on into our life, as the days go by, that that revelation would get deeper and deeper, that 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 revelation would take root into our heart, into our minds and our spirit. Lord, that we would meditate on this truth and that we would allow it to permeate every part of our life, that you are our Father and we are your children and that you love us. We know today, God, that your love is unconditional. It's everlasting. And we know today that you love us. Help us to see clearly, Father, all that you have. Help us to see that part of your character that at the very essence of who you are, you are first Father. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.